Hey, what's going on, Champagne Sharks? This is T. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. Go to the show Twitter at Champagne Sharks. That's one word, no underscore or hyphens to communicate with the group account. And we have with us, uh, introduce yourself, sir. Uh, hello, you know, it's Brandon, Brandon Sutton, uh, pretty bad lefty, aka Chad Vigorous on Twitter. And I'm glad to be on Champagne Sharks once again. Big fan of the show, big fan of tea in general. Ah, thank you. Likewise, bro. Um, well, I mean, I was talking about testosterone. So, I, oh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, well, I'm synonymous with testosterone, so I still take the uh, compliment in stride. That's I, just complimenting testosterone is the same as complimenting me. Like I'm the, I feel like the embodiment of it. So it's, Very it's all awful. good. Very yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to keep up with your new uh, online persona. So it's. Uh, I'm reclaiming hypermasculinity for the left. I think that's that's where that's where the niche is. That's what I think that's where the future's going, man. I think you know everyone doing cycles in um in the coffee shop. I think that's what that's what it's about. Like, you mean you mean cycles of you mean steroid cycles? Like, yeah, like, steroid cycles. Like, of course. Cycles. What other kind of cycles? It's about like bicycles, like you fucking hipster. No, no. Let me tell no, you. No, the only cycles that exist in the new hypermasculine left world are steroid cycles. You don't want to you don't want to do steroids and the reason why is cuz it puts on a lot of wet muscle and so like if you ever stop doing steroids you lose a lot of that muscle so like you end up like putting on 20 pounds of muscle in like 6 months and then you end up like losing 15 and you end up you know looking a little bit deflated. But that's just my personal opinion. Like don't do steroids kids if you have if you, I don't know what your target demographic is. I'm assuming it's like 11 year olds. So like whatever, whatever <laughs> 11 year olds are listening to the show, don't pin test, uh don't do trend, don't do any of the new designer steroids, don't do like the pro steroids just like just lift heavy eat heavy uh you know for strike first strike hard no mercy I, I don't know man i've been in my free time uh reading gorilla mindset and he says uh son of it says steroids are okay i mean he seems like a perfectly normal person to listen to so if you can't trust mike son like who can you trust probably definitely not me <laughs> um yeah you know it has been wondering now for anybody if uh you know we didn't say anything. If anybody would have went out and tried to purchase a cycle, you know, people are very impressionable these days. They are. People are very impressionable. And a lot of that has to do with like the widespread alienation that's causing everyone to kind of supplant their ego with various media properties and cult-like figures. And so I hope that anyone who supplants their ego with me, A, you know, seeks help and B, uh, realize that they've made the correct choice, though, in the end. Well, people... People, I think, are kind of supplanting like that void or whatever with politics too, because I noticed like leftism is kind of like that. It's very kind of um, trendy now. There's a lot of like signaling of group membership and stuff, like you know, just people throwing out the word dialectical without using it correctly. I mean, see, like I don't know the proper usage of it, so I just don't use it. But you know, like it's just like certain words you have to say in a conversation to kind of show. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, the in group, and, and I kind of wonder what it's going to lead to. I mean, this is the community of practice thing, right? So there are like a lot of, you know, when I was teaching sociolinguistics back in the day, you know, we talked about how communities, you know, develop and enforce kind of a specialized lexicon that is meant to convey, you know, competence within that particular social group or that particular um, community. And, you know, part of it's competence and part of it is uh, not only competence in that group, but sort of a, a place in the hierarchy, you know, about high, being higher amongst whatever group that you're in by, you know, wielding these words and showing a, you know, uh, an adept, a, yeah, adeptness, adroitness with the, with the language. You know, in some ways that is, 
you know, it's good when people know the the proper language, but also sometimes, A, it can be alienating to those who are outside the group. And it can also, you know, in the end, alienate you from people who, it can alienate you as a member of that group from the larger society, which is never particularly good. And I think we see that a lot too. I mean, I try not to give too much uh, credit or too much empathy to my political enemies on the right because I'm not in politics. I don't have to be nice or like reasonable. But like I do rec- recognize that in some of these instances, I think the best example is the um, the fact that streamers can't like people who play video games like can't stop saying slurs yeah and it's like and it's because like within that particular community slurs is are just a part of lexicon and as someone who spent a lot of time on 4chan when i was 16 like you do become desensitized to it now whether or not that has an enforcement effect on making you more or less racist is you know debatable we could spend all day talking about that but it does make it very easy to slip when you're outside that community and say something you know to replace the word like the place the word stupid or a, a generic insult with the n-word and like reveal yourself to like be rad have be, have be be part of a group or rather be using a lexicon that is radically inappropriate generally yeah it's um it's interesting that it's just like part of the lexicon there because i still wonder why like what makes it part of the lex- like of all the things like it just seems like that just seems to be just the go-to way to um shock people then you know people tell you you're just part of the lexicon or it's like ironic racism but then when you go to the poll section of 4chan it's a lot of earnest racism you know and i don't know if poll is just the segment of 4chan that just didn't get the memo that is supposed to be ironic or if all the so-called ironic or just the lexicon type of racism is kind of masking something but i i i did notice the sincerity of the poll section of 4chan so like poll is nothing new right and so yeah. in terms of uh like and, and i don't mean poll the subsection of, of 4chan which i will always prefer prefer 4chan over reddit because i think reddit is impossible to navigate from the outside okay i think like i just i just 4chan is just you know you can sort of fall into 4chan reddit is just like okay send me a direct link to the subreddit that you want me to be in otherwise i don't know i'm just not gonna be able to find it but you know, before there was poll, there was news. And this was before even there was Tumblr, I think. And this in Moot, the creator of 4chan, for those who don't know, I can't remember what, what year this was. It may be 2010, 2011, whatever, it doesn't matter. Shut down news. And the reason he shut down news was because it had officially, you know, but she, he called it Stormfront. He said news had just become Stormfront. And I think that you hit the nail on the head there where it's like ironic racism, there are a certain group of people who, you know, are just trying to be edge lords. They're just edgy, et cetera. You know, like they're disaffected, they're young, they're 16, they're 17. And you know, they're, just, they're just trying to be edgy online for whatever reason. And the danger comes with, cause you realize that a, despite, I don't know, despite what might seem reasonable, racism in its most overt form, like using slurs, you know, bigotry, anti-Semitism, you know, even sexism like in its most overt, overt, ugly forms is very unpopular. Um, it's very, very unpopular. And so, like, you know, the like the ultimate goal for racists, for bigots, for fascists, for for anti-Semites, for misogynists, you know, at least men's rights activists type of misogynists, pick pickup artists types of misogynists, like sort of more the more organized misogynists. Is to launder their like to launder their talking points to launder their lexicon into the mainstream lexicon, even if it means that they don't get any direct support as a political unit. They want more and more people using these words, normalizing these words, so that eventually 
you can, you know, what they're saying becomes more, seems more and more reasonable. And so ironic racism, you know, not unfortunately, but like just is, uh, you know, is a gateway or rather is their foot into the door of the discourse. Uh, not the discourse like my show, the discourse, the discourse like, you know, my podcast, the discourse, which you should all listen to, which is because it's a great show. We have some great I have some great new episodes lined up for everybody. That's a, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Did you even plug your show? In the I just did right there. It's, it's called Being oh. Organic. Oh, right, right. See, I fucked it up, man. I, it's fine. You can put the link in the description. It's all cool. Or you can yeah, not, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I can blast you on Twitter. It's, 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 no, it's, no, I mean, I fucked up the organicness by calling attention to it, man. You were going nice and smooth, and I just called attention to the smooth plug. So that's on me. It's fine. There's a reason it's called discourse. It's called discourse so I can do stuff like that. That's, a, that's the only reason. I think it's funny. But, I mean, I don't think we're here to talk about ironic racism. I think that you invited me on here to talk about, you know one of my favorite new shows and sort of the underlying thematic elements of that. Yes. You stole the segue from me because I was just about to say that, but I do think it relates. Uh, Cause I think the ironic racism and that whole 4chan ethos, I think very much ties into that show. Uh, Cobra Kai, that Cobra Kai show had levels on it that I was not expecting. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. You were the one who recommended the show to me and it was, much better than had any right to be. Yeah, I think that, you know, I watched Cobra Kai because I had basically just, you know, run out of shows to binge watch. And I saw, I kept seeing the ad on YouTube because it's a YouTube Red show, which makes it even more sort of you know, surprising. I think if it had been like a Netflix show or a Hulu show, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see this. But it being a YouTube Red show blew my mind because I was not expecting it to be as good as it was. And... I think that you're right. And, and you know, one of the reasons I think that you're right is because, you know, in some ways, 4chan is just a community. It's just a space where people come to speak and talk and little, you know, subcultures arise and all the other stuff happens. But it's not intrinsically any different than any other, you know, online message board or any on even any offline community space either. You know, before there was 4chan, there was, you know, there was BBS boards and there was forums and there were all the other specialized things. Um, and before that, they were just like there were you no, know, there were broadsheet newspapers. There were people meeting in the there were people meeting in the basement of the local Y. There was like there's always been places of people meeting. You know, it's just at different it's, you know it's different um different uh, different population size now, and you know a lot more connectivity I suppose. But yeah, Cobra Kai I think, and this I bring it up because I say you know with Cobra Kai on its surface is about you know it's a follow up to the movie The Karate Kid. Uh, which starred Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita, and William Zabka, uh, Billy Zabka. Uh, and also, I forgot who plays John Kreese, the, like, William Zabka's teacher, the head of Cobra Kai in that movie, but he's also in it. And um, it, it, it follow up with the movie, I want to say it's 30 years later, you know, basically however long it's been since, however long it's been in real life since The Karate Kid came out, that's how long it's been in that time. And it follows the story of, you know, William Zabka's character, Johnny, uh, who, since losing the tournament at the end of The Karate Kid, which is not a spoiler alert, because if you haven't seen The Karate Kid yet, you know, it, you should see it. It's it's a classic, really. His life has gone down the drain. He's a handyman, sort of a freelance handyman. Uh, he gets fired. He, you know, he has, he's in an estranged, he has an estranged marriage, or he's divorced, rather, or he's just separated. That sort of never made clear. Uh, I had a feeling, I don't know why I got, I think he's never been married, because didn't the, the son have a different last name than him. I think I'm not sure exactly what his relationship with with the woman was because we never yeah. really learn anything about 
the the woman who he was married to i think her even her name is kind of left ambiguous i forgot what he what um what she's uh like what her name is and that's like that's much i think that has to do with me like not caring about her as a character yeah rather to do with like her just being an sort of a vehicle for you know johnny's son which is robbie yeah exactly he just wanted to have a son he they had to have him have a son and so you know the the wife kind of is like his wife or his you know divorce or his ex-wife or his ex-girlfriend or his partner or his ex-partner rather is just you know she's around but she's not really in the story and so basically it follows the life of johnny and then in sort of at some point or rather early on um ralph macchio's character comes back in whose name i'm forgetting all of a sudden um uh, danny yeah danny comes in daniel yeah daniel oh yeah of course daniel comes in and you find out he has a family too and he's a you know a, a you know a relatively successful used car salesman, and you know essentially at a certain point, I think he sells new cars too. I think he has I think he has a uh, luxury cars, but he also has like a a trading lot. I think he does. I could be wrong, but I think he does both. I mean, it's, it's a it's a minor detail. But. It's a minor detail. Like he like he like he has a car lot in the valley because they also live in like Redondo Beach, California, or something. You know, one of those like just you know, little Californian towns. He has a family too, and. You know, Johnny is living in essentially what is it, like an apartment complex. He meets a, a, a young Latino boy um, and he restarts Cobra Kai because the young, young Latino boy is being bullied and he saves he saves him from a few bullies. And then he restarts Cobra Kai and starts training. He starts training him and, you know, to defend himself. Well, not even to defend himself, to be a member of Cobra Kai. And so the show just takes off from there. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Uh, the ironic racism point, I think. Some of that is in this show because I did notice um, you're kind of shown very early on all this kind of casual racism from um, Johnny. Oh, yeah. You know, toward to, and it's you kind of made to feel like, you know, he, he doesn't really mean it. It's just whatever, you know, like because he doesn't like anybody. It, and it's kind of like I think the same type of excuse given for a lot of the uh, casual ra- ironic racism that you see in these online spaces. Like it's just an element to give him edge. And I think there's a tradition of that too with uh, Jack Nicholson. What's the movie? And as good as it gets. And a lot of other movies where the person's just kind of racist, but they have a heart of gold, so to speak, or whatever. Well, I mean, what, I mean, I think with Johnny, this is, I guess, the, the important part of what I was saying earlier about this online spaces, because I think in the... I've been told because I, I I watched it off of YouTube, but I've been told that in the comment sections of you know the videos, it's like there is this element of like yeah like, you know fuck SJWs like yeah like you know Johnny's so cool you know Johnny like and like you never really get that impression of Johnny right so I think that you know to call Johnny ironic Johnny's racism his sexism his sort of like ableism I you know his body shaming ironic sort of implies that it's not being considered critically i think you know in the movie you know like johnny's racism johnny's sort of bigotry is in line with his character as it was uh, potentially you know in the 80s but you know i know like this like this is just how people acted and not how people acted how bullies acted in the 80s and like he's never like he's sort of never grown out of that like he's never grown out of being that you know like he his, it's almost as though his development was arrested the moment he lost that fight to 
the moment he lost that fight to Danny. Yeah. Like, and, 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 you, like, and you see he has a, some sort of, like, it's almost implied, or rather treated, that he has, like, a sort of a mild form of PTSD where he has flashbacks to that moment where he gets, you know, where he gets the shit kicked out of him by Danny, like that sort of, like, swan kick Danny does. And yeah. you get the sense that that was actually a very traumatic event for him because it was a very traumatic event for his masculinity. Uh, and that was the moment where he, he went from being, like, yeah, Johnny, big man on campus, the big bully on campus, to, like, Johnny the dude who got the shit kicked out of him and like and that was and while that you know that aspect of you know someone's life could just be a drop in the bucket if they're a normal well-adjusted person for johnny it actually comprises a very very like significant form of trauma that his entire life was you know essentially essentially um organized around that being said it also it also like you know it's the same for danny though like danny has also never moved on from that particular fight like you know, he like he markets himself as a sort of karate used car lot salesman. That's his yeah. pitch. Like he tells people about that fight that he was in thirty years ago, and you get the like this sense that their lives really like revolved around that one karate tournament. When you would think, um, you would imagine that essentially there's just another tournament next year. There's another the North the North tournament the year after that. You can just keep getting better and better at karate. You can keep keep you can keep practicing. You can go you know you can go you know to the nationals to, like the semi nationals, but like this and their entire lives revolve around that event, and so. I think Johnny's a sympathetic character. I think Johnny manages to be a very sympathetic character that, you know, that that it's almost it's almost um distressing how easy it is to sort of feel sympathy for him when he's you know he's a bully he's a bad guy he makes them he makes fun of a kid he makes fun of every all the kids he makes them cry makes them feel bad but it's easy to sort of sympathize with him because he feels so alienated because he has this trauma because he has these issues but his racism is never really treated as like okay it's like you know it's like it's never treated as though like people don't notice it and people don't comment on it it's always treated as though it's you know it's a problem it's a, it's a knowledge it's a problem and he shouldn't be doing it but he but like but it's just like who he is yeah i will say this i feel like the racism that he does i don't think he's doing it ironically but I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, those comment sections kind of enjoy it as like a meta commentary. Like, this is what's missing. You know, all these kids today are pussies and they're all in the tumblers and stuff. And he's a throwback to when, you know, people weren't always PC and they said what, what they want. Whether that's intentional by the creators or not. But I, mean, I think to a slight degree, it kind of is in that. Like, for example, with Sopranos and different things, there was always, or with Mad Men, there's always this element, or with Breaking Bad, too. I think Breaking Bad had this problem. That there's always trying to skirt the line between critiquing something, but also making it look cool and kind of have the cake and eat it, too. And what I mean by the ironic racism is I feel like the creators are telling you, look, uh, we're going to show you this kind of knee-jerk racism or knee-jerk sexism. And, yeah, we all know it's bad. But let's be honest, it's a little bit refreshing too, you know? But I don't think they're fully endorsing it, but I think they're kind of having their cake and eating it too, of getting a chance to revel in it a little bit, but also ultimately uh, critique it. And then I think what ends up happening is you always get the kind of person who just picks up on the reveling part, but the critique part totally goes um, over the head. And that's how you get those people who just, by, by the final episode of Breaking Bad or... Sopranos are still rooting for Tony or uh, Walter White as strongly as ever, you know, despite all the horrors they've um, they've done. So I'm kind of curious to see how much further they're going to go into the 
critiquing part, you know what I'm saying? Or how much more overt in season two. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think that in, in, in being a commentary on masculinity and sort of way masculinity intersects, like you're, so you're hinting at, with all these, you know, with masculinity intersects a lot with some of the more prominent structures of oppression society with you know with racism with sexism with you know with you know just generally being a shithead it's like you know in some ways performing in some ways performing masculinity is intrinsically tied to performing racism performing sexism i mean performing misogyny performing homophobia performing ableism like like those two things at least within our pop culture and within our, you know, traditional conservative reactionary definitions of masculinity go hand in hand, um, which is why toxic masculinity is often seen, you know, often expresses itself as violence towards women, violence towards people of color, you know, neo neo Nazism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, but I agree with you, right? So anytime you're performing a critique of anything, anytime you're performing like a critique, whether it be ironic or just a, you know, you're just presenting a character who is supposed to be a, a critique of something. You, you know, it's multivalent. You know, people are going to enter with their own sort of experiences and judge them based on that. And I will say, I almost, you, at least from my perspective, as somebody who is aware of that, you know, you're not supposed to root for Johnny. I felt a little bad the, how much I related to and rooted for Johnny. You know, I felt like, you know, I felt a little bad when sometimes I did laugh at the sort of like the jokes that he made, you know, because. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like I felt it too. That's why I feel like it's not total critique of Johnny because there's also I think some sincere critiques of the opposite too like I I do believe that some of the things they put in Johnny's mouth about how I think the pendulum has swung too far into people being like uh sissies and stuff I do think or being too fragile I do think there is something to that critique that they believe even though they probably exaggerated it to toxic ex- to toxic extremes in Johnny that's like the other version of the cake and ha- having the cake and eat it too. I feel like they put it there and they acknowledge that Johnny, because ha- balance keeps coming up. So I think, you know, they keep bringing a balance with Danielson and that's what makes uh, Danielson's karate uh, ultimately uh, better because they keep bringing balance. And I think they're trying to say like, there's a part to Johnny that's right, but there's a part to the um, new generation and the, so-called losers in the sensitivity that's also right so it's not that johnny's 100 percent wrong but it's that he's just out of balance well yeah I, and i agree with that because essentially you know you like you should like you can root for johnny but you really shouldn't idolize him his life is terrible you know like he like he's not like he's like he's not even a sort of soprano tony soprano style mafia don with lots of money and you know with infinite amounts of power he's a loser who lives in a crappy apartment who has like a, a, a kid who hates him a poorly paying a poorly paying job and no one really likes him but a group of teenagers because like that's what he's been like that's where his his development's been arrested as yeah like, he's just a big teenager so like i think that if you're looking very shallowly you can say oh yeah johnny's the hero you know johnny is something someone who can we could idolize he's he's really giving the middle finger to pc culture but would you really want to be like johnny like would you really want to you know actually engage with the would you really want to live johnny's lifestyle you know what i think you know what i think i think a lot of people don't want to be johnny but they feel like they're losers like johnny so they feel like if they can reimagine their loser them as being a johnny type of loser them where I'm a loser because you know what? I'm just too alpha and too non-PC. It makes the loser them a little more palatable to them. That would be my theory. You know, that, you know, 
hey, I live with my mom or I'm underemployed or I'm this and that. But you know what? Uh, it's because society's fucked up and not and not me. And that I think they might not want to be Johnny, but they're like, if I'm going to be a loser, I'd rather be a Johnny loser than a beta male, underemployed, uh, angry, suck this wonder. No, I agree. I think Johnny rings true for a lot of people, right? And I think that part of, you know, quote unquote the i hate being with people like the project of the left but like you know part of the project of the left because i mean like whatever but probably like the product of the left is really understanding why someone might see themselves as a johnny or what's the why someone would they be a white male in their 40s or 50s or just like a white or just like or even like someone like me like a black dude in his 20s might sort of see johnny and like can't help but laugh i mean i know i laugh when that one scene where like the guy like like one of the other karate uh people at the tournament was like giving that really long speech about how about racism and sexism and etc and johnny's just like i want you to kick him in the face like he just like whispers like he just whispers to um his student like yeah kick this dude in the face and i'm like yeah kick this like this guy this guy's tedious okay like kick him in the face yeah because like he does represent that sort of generation of alienated male that i think is much more coherent with the millennial experience than it is maybe the generation x the gen x experience which johnny is that generation of you know contingent worker or gig economy worker because you know before with the gig economy it was just contingent workers you know, that generation of you know the new poor the workless class you know people shifting through like job and life who feel no real sense of social or economic integration because you know because of the dissolution of solidarity, you know, as a result of Reagan and Thatcher and all of those sort of neoliberal, t you know, tendencies. And, you know, you see Johnny and you see him grappling with these problems and in a lot of ways. You know, we have a lot of shows about men. I think we have a, obviously men are like the most prevalent protagonists uh, like in any media, but shows that actually grapple with like the contradictions of masculinity and like the roles that people feel trapped into as a man and how those roles are simply you know for a johnny for millennial males for whoever how like those like how what we consider to be peak masculinity you know is in some ways no longer attainable in that gap that exists in people like between people's experiences like you know as like a man and like what is actually possible? Like, is it possible to have a good paying job? You know, is it possible to have a house? Is it possible to even support yourself really, you know, uh, as a, as, you know, as a, a young man nowadays, uh, and the sort of deep, deep emotional toil that takes on an entire generation of people, which is, I mean, not that again, not that you should feel incredibly inclined to excuse Johnny for his actions, but just, you know, acknowledging that there's like this sort of widespread alienation that is that he that he's indicative of is definitely a defining character of, you know, masculinity in for the past 30 years. Yeah, I would say if I had to boil this show down basic premise plot wise, it, I would say it's like, what if Daniel joined Cobra Kai and Johnny met Miyagi in the original Karate Kid? You know, and like, you know, Miguel being the Danielson and uh, Robbie being the um, the Johnny and, you know, kind of showing like what would have happened if, if Miyagi found found Johnny instead? Like, how would his life have gone? What would happen if Crease uh, found Daniel instead? And I think that's a good connection to like the Internet. Like, I feel like the Cobra Kai is like a lot of toxic online spaces. Like, you know, if you think of like, the Cobra Kai is like a real life Karate 4chan, you know, and you get like a lot of these kind of kids who are kind of lost or whatever. And 
And the bullies are like the so-called normies. Normies, yeah. Thank you. If the if the bullies are like in their mind like the normies and stuff, you know, and then you end up in this place and we're like, we're gonna teach you how to weaponize uh, online. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not saying this is what they intended to do, but that's what I kind of thought of. Like when I saw all these losers kind of going, and I say losers because that's like how they were defined by by Johnny. Like you know, going to um, Cobra Kai, and now they're just you know turned into this kind of angry thing that just wants to like tear down all, all normies it was a bit the movie i mean this series whether intentionally or not has a lot of interesting commentary uh that i think is relatable to the millennial the online experience no i agree i think that's like a really great analogy actually i didn't i didn't really consider it that way but now that you're saying it it does say, it does ring true right so you have this group of people you know who are not only the you know, traditionally alienated, but the, I'm sorry, the traditionally marginalized, but like the new poor, the new margin, the new marginalized class, I guess as you could say like Zygmunt Bauman would put it like the new poor, uh, because like they aren't, you know, they aren't the rich kids, you know, like, like none of the kids who are in Cobra Kai, despite, you know, despite living in a relatively well, you know, wealthy segment of California, like are not the rich kids. The rich kids are Daniel, like our daniel son and his, uh, his daughter and her friends and you know like the kylers and uh you know like like that group of like those like that class of kids and they join cobra kai which i think is a great analogy for any sort of space any sort of community that you know could theoretically exist that gives people the tools to cope with uh the marginalization that they're feeling yeah and help them nurse their anger and grudges and kind of amplify them you know of course you know and obviously like you know you're presented with two different spaces you're presented with like a supportive environment as you know as represented by daniel san's miyagi do uh and you're presented with cobra kai which is a, a, a toxic reinforcing space that emphasizes the need for like violence and you can i guess you can even to support your theory like just the like just the um the motto of Cobra Kai, right? Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And when he goes through that, you know, that through that motto, you like you really see like just how deeply alienated he feels and this deep uh, this deep sort of antipathy that he feels towards society. He's like, you know, the reason we say no mercy is because life will show you no mercy. Yeah. No, like life life is not fair. And that may be true, right? And it's definitely true. There is no meritocracy, but the way it's presented is just like life is not fair. That gives you the read that gives you your rationale to show no mercy, to show no kindness, to show no compassion, because life will show you a preemptive asshole. Yeah, because like, life will because like, life will show you no compassion, and like that that to me speaks to like a lot of what you're saying, which is this notion that we should just like that like that these people you know we, you know you can supplant any number of groups onto the Cobra Kai kids, right? The incels, the um you know the ironic Reddit you know red pill red pillars, the black pill. I guess not the black pills, but you know like any number of group people fit into that mold. Well, actually, a black pill, actually, I don't know if he's a black pill. What is a black pill? Just to make sure I have it right before I even expound on it. So a black pill is, I guess you could call it the, um, the fatalistic element of, I want to say, you know, I think that in a lot of these cases, like the incels, the red pills, the, um, the online communities that exist now, even like the neo-fascists, they don't really fall onto the traditional conception of the left-right spectrum as we have it. Yeah. Um, but like, but, and I think, you know, I think a part of, again, the project of the left <laughs> is to understand that, that spectrum is in some ways very uh, reductive and needs to be complicated if we're going to move forward to really understand the problems that America, you know, that we're facing 
anything now from these groups. But um, you know, the black pill community is essentially like the 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 red pillars who think that they've seen the real, you know, the real nature of society, the truth behind society, taken to the nihilistic extreme, which is that there really is no point to life. You know, like we're all just sort of, you know, there's no change, there's nothing we can do. Like it's very much a fatalistic, nihilistic philosophy that is in some ways rooted in the deep-seated alienation yeah and and you know the incel thing i think you probably put incels and pickup artists and all stuff like that into the same kind of mix in that sex is very much in the narrative as a, a big motivator who's gonna get it who's not and it's always been for these kind of 80s types of teen movies that um the karate kid was but it's usually put as like you know uh harmless rite of passage goal like you know a lot of homosociality like you know, like like the the boys bond over trying to get sex and it's kind of presented as cute and harmless but this was i think one of the few things that dealt into the toxic side of uh who are the winners and losers in the so-called uh sexual marketplace as our friend jordan peterson would uh uh coin it you know what i mean like uh i would love to know what jordan peterson would think of um the show cobra kai you know he'd probably misunderstand to be honest Oh, no, I should misunderstand it. That's exactly why I, I, I let you know how he'd misunderstand it. I think that he would see it as like, you know, I think that he would be overly sympathetic. I don't want to put conjecture, but I think that a lot of people, if you're go, if you're smart, it's very easy to be sort of like, you know, shallow and watch it and like sort of misunderstand it as like Johnny's the protagonist, therefore Johnny's the hero. And therefore we should think Johnny's a good person. But I think if you're, you know, even if you delve deeper, there is there's room for misunderstanding and be like, well, you know, we should feel bad for Johnny because society made Johnny the way Johnny is. And if only we had enforced monogamy, Johnny would have never felt, you know, Johnny would have never felt felt the way he felt and therefore we would never end this up in a situation etc etc you know if we if we only had forced monogamy the events of the karate kid wouldn't have happened because johnny's girlfriend wouldn't have felt the need to be hyper you know hypergamy hypergamous whatever they're saying yeah i've never pronounced that but i know the word you're talking about yeah she would have felt more inclined to be loyal to johnny then johnny wouldn't have had trouble with danny and you know in a lot of ways that is johnny's rationale too like that that John, that Danny came into town and he tried to steal his girlfriend. And of course, Danny's rationale is like, you know, you guys were over. So like, they're still fighting over this same girl years later. Yeah. And then you find out like later in the show that she moved to like Colorado, became a doctor and is like married with a kid. And they're just like, they're basically like, bitches. <laughs> like, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the guy is like a uh, very handsome guy. And they're like, yeah. oh, look at his dumb face. Like, you know, they're trying to convince themselves that, He's a loser. <laughs> yeah, he's it's like, clearly not. But, but, and I, mean, I think that the show is at its core about masculinity and neither Danny nor Johnny are heroes, you know, because you do get the sense that that Danny is also struggling with this rut that his life is in, despite being successful, despite having a kid, despite that he misses the violence of karate and he misses fighting with Danny. He, I mean, he misses fighting with Johnny. He misses all that stuff. And I think in some ways, you know, some some, some of that has to do with, you know, just being toxic and some of that has to do with like, you know, part of that toxicity being a hero complex. Like he, like I think that at the end, you kind of see you kind you kind of get left with the opinion that Danny saw himself as the hero of that story. Like he, like he beat da he beat Johnny, he got the girl, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, he's still not happy with that sort of traditional with the traditional viewpoint of male success. Uh, did you ever see that video that I sent you? I'm going to put it at the top of the um, show, but the one where um, that guy makes a case that Danzel is actually the villain of. Uh, 
of Karate Kid. I did not see that case, but I mean, what, what, like, what is the the central thesis of it? Like, what, like, what, what would? Basically, I think the writers of the show watched it because it follows the flashback story that um, Johnny tells Miguel. Karate Kid is the story of Daniel, a violent sociopath who moves to a California town and begins tormenting a local boy and his friends. Johnny is a high school senior with a commitment to atone for past mistakes and move his life forward in a positive direction. So, ex-degenerate man, 8 a.m. tomorrow, I'm a senior, I've got one year to make it all work, and that's what I'm gonna do, make it work. They are destined to meet when Daniel's neighbor invites him to a beach party, where he becomes instantly obsessed with Johnny's newly ex-girlfriend, Allie. After a courtship ritual consisting solely of creepy, unbroken eye contact, he approaches her, only to be summarily rebuffed. Johnny arrives to patch things up with Allie, but the discussion becomes heated. Well, I want to talk to you, alright? Now, I want to be clear about this. What Johnny is doing is not okay, and he should respect her wish to be left alone. Johnny is, in the end, a flawed hero. But one thing he is definitely not doing is getting violent. Daniel, however, seeing an opportunity to insert himself into Allie's life, chooses to escalate the situation, demanding the return of Allie's radio. Frustrated and heartbroken, Johnny complies with Daniel's request and, in the heat of the moment, pushes him down. Daniel now has the radio, and Allie is still in no danger. Nevertheless, he attacks Johnny, who merely steps aside, allowing Daniel to knock himself to the ground twice. But when Daniel refuses to let it go, Johnny must use force to end this violent outburst, for the safety of everyone present. So what is Daniel's response to Johnny's non-aggression? Pow! A sucker punch right to the mouth. Johnny defends himself, as is his legal right, and then de-escalates the situation by leaving the scene entirely. The next day in school, Daniel trips while playing sport ball. Rather than accepting that occasional bumps and bruises will happen during playtime, Daniel instead externalizes the blame onto Johnny's friend Bobby and proceeds to ground and pound him, MMA style. A few days later, Daniel attempts to enroll at a karate school, obviously intending to up his game so he can get revenge on Johnny. Put it this way. How would you feel if someone picked a fight with you, lost, and then went out the next day and bought a gun? Well, that's exactly how Johnny feels when Daniel shows up at Cobra Kai. So he decides to send a message. Your violence will not be tolerated. Because Johnny knows what can happen when you teach karate to a person with a bad attitude. Months go by, and no one bothers anyone. Clearly, this conflict is over. Until Daniel, unprovoked and for absolutely no reason, drenches Johnny with water in the middle of a school function, ruining his night. To add irony to injury, Johnny was at that very moment sparking up a J, which is just about the least violent thing you can do. Weasel snag the bee. All right. But I digress. Daniel has crossed the line this time, and he knows it. After causing a multi-car collision, he flees into the night. There is no telling what further damage this unbalanced and violent individual will do, and once again, it falls on Johnny to contain Daniel's fury. After local busybody, karate master, and child batterer Mr. Miyagi intervenes, Daniel convinces him that this is somehow all Johnny's fault. So they go to Johnny's sacred place, the Cobra Kai studio, and challenge him to yet another fight. Johnny accepts the challenge and even agrees to refrain from defending himself against any more of Daniel's unprovoked aggression until the match. No one touches the prima donna until the tournament. Daniel, of course, sees this as a license to continue to harass Johnny in public with impunity. Alright, watch this. Hey guys, how you doing? It's good to see you. Hey, sorry about the eye today, Johnny. Shoulder okay, Tommy? You guys be careful not to go stepping in front of any more buses now, all right? The day of the tournament arrives. Johnny is there, defending his title. Daniel, meanwhile, is a danger to himself and others as he doesn't even know the basic rules of engagement. All right, what are the rules here? Oh, no. 
To no one's surprise, Johnny advances to the final round, and Karma catches up with Daniel when his leg is injured by the boy he wantonly attacked on the soccer field. However, just as Johnny is about to be awarded his trophy, Daniel is granted unnatural strength by the demon sorcerer Miyagi, enabling him to defeat Johnny and win the tournament in an upset. Ever mindful of good sportsmanship, Johnny lets go of his sadness at losing, subjugates his ego, and personally presents Daniel with his tainted blood trophy. May you choke on it in your wet dreams, you rotten little prick. Like, it's exaggerating for effect, but it makes some pretty good points that Daniel himself had a type of, like, entitlement and a type of uh, toxicity. And that, because um, one thing about that movie, Johnny wasn't that bad a guy. And that's something that I found kind of interesting in this movie, is they keep talking about what a bully he was. And he wasn't a great guy, but he was, like, conflicted. He had a friend, he had a homeboy who was much more, I think, of an outright really bad bully than um, Johnny. Like, I forget the friend's name. It was the second guy at Cobra Kai. He was the one that I think was a lot more, like, outright uh, sociopathic, whereas... Johnny just seems to be really eager to please the, the sensei. And uh, at the end, Johnny even like says, like, you know, you're all right, LaRusso, and he gives him the trophy. I mean, you know, I think that, like, one of the things that I do think, so I th we've spent a lot of time sort of, like, giving Cobra Kai, to, like, the benefit of the doubt and a lot of leeway when it comes to certain things. But one of the ways I would say that Cobra Kai is a little bit, or maybe a lot reactionary, is that it does present the problems that both Danny in Johnny face and even like through the contemporary world, you know, and even like the problem that Miguel and Robbie face as like a dissolution of the American family, the traditional American like nuclear family. Mm. And so there is a little bit of retroactive continuity when it comes to um when it comes to Johnny, where like which I guess is it's sort of made to make him sort of a, a better parallel for Danny, right? Which is that, like, you know, I don't know how I haven't seen Karate Kid actually in a, a long time, but this idea that Danny, uh, that Johnny was from a broken household, his stepfather was very mean to him, his yeah. mother was, you know, his mother was not, you know, his mother was not particularly very sort of present in that situation, and he was just looking, yeah. So he was just looking for a father figure, and he found that in John Kreese. Similarly, you know, Danny comes from a broken household, and he was looking for a father figure, and he found that in, in he found that in uh, you know, Pat Morita, uh, uh, sorry, um, what, I forgot what his name is, uh, now, and, um, Mr. Miyagi, of course, duh, Mr. Mr. Miyagi, and so, like, and same with Robbie, and same with Miguel, Miguel is a, is a, is a bully, is getting bullied, and he's kind of a loser, and you're, and it's made very clear that he lives with two women, and he, like, you know, his mother and his grandmother, um, and similarly, Robbie is the victim, or rather not the victim, but, you know, subject to his, his mother kind of being a little bit, you know, I, at least in there, you know, at least, you know, to bar, like, she's promiscuous. She's a uh, drunk. You know, in the movie, and like a lot of his problems seem to stem from her not being a good mother and Johnny not being a good father. And it's it's and it seems to be put. Like, if if only they had a better father figure, they would have ended up better. And so I think that like, if I were going to give one critique of the show, it would be that that like you know that women within the show, I think, but for Danny's daughter. um you know, but for Danny's daughter, are treated very, especially well, not even women in the show. Mothers in the show are treated very poorly. Uh, like are, are treated sort of very poorly, and it's very, it very much sort of gives the impression that a lot of these problems are the result of the family not being, you know, 
not traditional family values being eroded. I, I feel like it's a little conflicted on that front too, because there is that scene where Danny makes Johnny pull over when they're in the car together and they go to his old apartment complex and they're sharing each other's stories. And then, uh, Johnny's like, he was saying that my stepfather was a douchebag, but I guess my mother just did that because she um, wanted to give me a better life than I had. And then he was like, Danny was thinking about his mom and he's like, yeah, I guess I can uh, empathize with that. He was thinking about his mom and, you know, when they first moved in. So they both kind of acknowledged that their mothers, they kind of failed them in a way, but they were doing the best that they could and they were um, acknowledging them, their uh, sacrifices. So, I mean, I feel like to an even lesser degree, they're trying to do that with Robbie's mom. Like, she was, you know, problematic, but then she says, I was the one that was there when he got injured. I was the one that was there when this happened. So, I'm not really sure what the ultimate takeaway is. I think ultimately your takeaway is right. But I also wonder, I feel like it was trying to show them some kind of empathy, but it wasn't quite doing a good job at it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that it was trying to portray them as like sort of complex characters, but by nature of how much they're in the like, it's on how much they're in the show and like what they're really what their role is. They come across as being a little bit flat in terms of. But I think, you know, I was all the acting in the show is amazing. Like all the actors are really good. Well cast. Performances. Very well cast show. I think even the, the ancillary characters like Kyler and like the bully girls, like they all know their role. They all play it very well. They're, they they all do a great job. Yes. Like uh, I just, you know, for like the the case of the case of um I think that until so like I said what I just said and I guess I'll contradict myself now. You could also make the alternative argument, right, that the that these women, right, specifically specifically uh Robbie's mother whose name I still don't know and I feel a little bit bad about. I'm sure they mentioned it but I just it just but yeah, so um uh like you could make the argument that in trying to cuz like she at one point she makes the argument which like when she's going out drinking on like a Wednesday night to like a bar to pick up a dude, like she makes the argument that she's also trying to make a family for Robbie. Like she wants Robbie to have a family. She wants she wants to have a family so that when Robbie goes away, you know, this you know goes away to college goes away to like the army goes away to wherever he goes away to that she's not left alone and i think that you can make the argument you know the sort of attorney argument like yeah she's a very sympathetic figure because she's also you know clawing clawing towards this nuclear family that may not be possible in this modern world but she but she needs it for fulfillment you know like she so it might just be and you know in this case a commentary on this trope of like women in these 80s movies, specifically the Karate Kid, just being, you know, entirely defined by their relationship with the men around them, right? To the point where like, you know, at this point, she like, she just doesn't, without Johnny, without a man in her life, she just doesn't feel like she has, she feels alone. She feels like lost and that she, she's trying to create a nuclear family for Robbie because she thinks that's what, that's, that's what will help him when really what he just needs is his mother at home, right? So, I think that you could look at it in a lot of different ways. At the same time, I think that going back to the, you know the conversation that we were having, or rather we, we broached that about the um, the incel phenomenon uh, and how it relates to this sort of the, these themes of masculinity. It, it's interesting because like you're right, the incel like incels in some ways are treated as sort of broadly and like as as though they could be understood well enough by understanding the general sort of phenomenon of sexlessness and the epidemic of loneliness and the epidemic of sort of, um, you know, widespread alienation as a result of like fast capitalism and, you know, late stage modernity and all those, like those fun words. 
but really like they're just like the worst they're like just like the worst parts if like if the worst parts of the mra movement and the worst parts of the alt-right had a baby that's what the incels are <laughs> and i i could see how they would like a show like this but i would also say that they would have to entirely be misunderstanding the point of it yeah the um yeah it's um it's, it's interesting one of the things that that um happens happens with this is there's a lot of subtle um parallels or reversals or uh symmetries that i kind of didn't miss the first time around have you watched it once or twice i've watched it i've watched it once fully through and like i'm, I'm working my way through it again second time yeah what, what kind of stuff has jumped out at you on uh, the second time around i mean the most thing that jumped out at me the second time around are the ways in which um like you, like these like like the parallels between Johnny and Miguel Miguel's life and you know the parallels between Miguel and Miguel and rather the the rather I'll put this way the 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 parallels between the lives of Johnny and his son and Johnny and Danny and Johnny and and Johnny and Robbie and Ro, you know and all like in sort of that weird circle like we're stuck in this sort of cycle I guess like that just just how much just how much um this is almost a direct not a direct retread of the theme the direct retread of the characters but how just similar everyone actually is in like you know in terms of like their motivations so something that jumped on me the second time like there's like little interesting things like the scene of him that early scene of him watching iron eagle i don't know how i missed this the first time but he's watching iron eagle on the shitty tv and he's focusing on like the sad part, like you know where uh, Louis Gossett Jr. like crashes and is presumed dead, and there's a recorder that he gives him, and he, when he plays it, it's a speech by Louis Louis Gossett. It's kind of like an angry type, not angry, but it's like you know all the people who did bad to you, you're gonna show them, and he's having these kind of flashbacks to all this fucked up stuff, and it's kind of like a very bitter speech, and he's looking at it on a shitty old school TV. I don't remember if it's black and white, but it's it's pretty it's pretty old. It's, it's like an old tube TV. It's not it's not a flat screen, and he's pouring hard alcohol into a beer can. So he's like just he's that much of an alcoholic. He's he's pouring like hard liquor into beer. Doesn't even have like a real glasses to pour the alcohol into. Like maybe the beer can's empty, but he just doesn't have like any real glassware, and and that's what he, that's what he's uh, doing. I, I don't know what's going on with that, but right at that time. I think that's when Sid, his stepfather, comes and visits and um, gives him the check. And he actually breaks the TV because he's so mad at it because Johnny's, I mean, because Dan Daniel's commercial comes on and ruins his mood. And Sid gives the money. Then later on, there's a scene where he's putting up a brand new huge flat screen TV. And I think it's the first time you're supposed to know that he's actually making money now, like, like this Cobra Kai thing's working out. And he turned it around. Then... He goes to the fridge and they show him open the fridge and there's orange juice and a bunch of beers. He's about to reach for the beer. And this time he, he hesitates and he goes over and gets the orange juice instead. And then uh, pours a glass of orange juice. And then this time Iron Eagle is back on the screen. Now it's the optimistic part of Iron Eagle where he rediscovers, instead of loss, he rediscovers that Louis Gossett Jr. actually didn't die. And it's the happy ending and everything is fine. And then from that, he leaves and runs over to Sid's house to return the money to him in cash. So it was, a, I don't know if it was like a perfect uh, inversion of that earlier scene, like the alcohol, the um, Iron Eagle scene, the caliber of the TV. He's 
He's putting up a brand new one instead of tearing down an old one. The reversal of the of the check. It, it was uh like this reminds me. This show feels in some ways like the human parts of a Power Rangers episode. You know, like minus you know all the parts of Power Rangers where. The kids are in high school and stuff, and they're not fighting monsters. Like It feels like it should be as cheesy as that, but they have levels of characterization and foreshadowing and symmetry that are like as good as anything on peak TV. Like It has no reason to be this good, but it is. It's surprising how much care was given to making this show, right? You would think it'd be, you know, it, you think it would think it'd be easy, considering all the reboots we've seen, of like, or even like old movies that were turned into TV shows, where so little care has gone into it in order, in in terms of like, okay, well, it'll be a quick cash grab. Who cares? Whatever. But like, in terms of like old '80s movies that were made, oh, sorry, not, oh, oh, that's a sort of spe- a little specific, but old movies that were made into TV shows. This must rank up there with like Hannibal. Well, not with it Hannibal. Yeah. Yeah, Hannibal, or I think The Exorcist is also pretty good. I've heard um, it must it must rank up there because like the amount of care that went into like making sure that this story like would not only uh, uh, not only brand, not only sort of went in its own little direction, but like enhanced the Karate Kid. Like it makes me want to watch the Karate Kid again. Yeah, and I never thought I'd say that. It actually makes me want to watch all three because um, I want to remember what happened with Crease. I know Crease. Now that it turns out, Crease is actually back in the story. Now I want to know what. I want to remember what happened with part three because part three was Crease's last last uh, appearance, and I'm sure they're gonna lean on that in the um, in the second season. Uh, I have a question: Are you supposed to like Robbie? Because I had trouble. I had a feeling that our sympathies are supposed to lie with him, and even as Miguel did his heel turn and Hawk did his even more extreme heel turn, I still find myself liking them more. Like I'm more interested in seeing their redemption and sticking with them on their hero's journey than really liking Robbie yet. And I want to know if I was alone. No, I know. I, at the end, and so, like, I told you when we were talking about this, before, that, like, Robbie is probably the actor who I think is the least good in this. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because he's actually not very good or if I'm just, like, don't like, I just, by the time Robbie's introduced and he becomes popular, I'm already really, really invested in Cobra Kai, the Cobra Kai kids. Because, frankly, it's just, like, I think Hulk is probably my favorite character. Uh, Hulk, like, Same here. Like, Hulk, like, Hulk, whoever played Hulk did such a good, in such a good job, like, to the point where him, when he's first introduced, to him, when he's like introduced at the you know where he where he's at at the end is like night and day and even though he's like incredibly toxic he's incredibly violent he's like a huge piece of shit it's like it's impossible not to still like really really sort of empathize with him i think it's really it's easy to empathize with you know the cobra kai kids yeah and the and the actor is very uh, charismatic the actor was pretty good yeah, oh, he's, he's amazing. I don't know. I don't know who the actor is, but like he's amazing because like the, you know Hawk. For those of you who haven't watched, haven't watched the show, like he starts off as this kid who doesn't speak. You know, he has like he has a scar from his cleft lip from from a cleft lip correction surgery. Um, people make fun of the scar. Even Johnny makes fun of the scar. And at the end, Johnny tells him sort of that in, in a case of like how I can see people might how people might sort of uh again think johnny's methods actually work say like you know you gotta just flip the script or you're gonna be bullied your whole life you know forget about the scar you know just sort of pick yourself up by your bootstraps because that is the cobra kai sort of like if yeah. you just pick yourself up by your bootstraps but your bootstraps are like you know a karate dojo gi sash whatever tightener like you can you know you can improve your life although i will say like 
Johnny never like, and so just sort of bringing back the sort of black pill separate phenomenon. Johnny never really makes it clear that it never really seems like he's saying you can improve your life. It's just like Johnny's just saying that you can fight back. Yes, and make them yeah, and make them pay. Like like I think he's more concerned with like you know ruining other people, even if it's just for a day you know or whatever but not actually yeah you're right he doesn't say they're improving your life it's again like it's, it, it's in some ways like it's like a revenge story and i know they, yeah. they borrow some of the same music from they borrow some of the music from kill bill volume volume um one or oh i missed that yeah, they do they borrow um sort of i forgot the which particular song they take from it from it at some point at least it's on the soundtrack right when i think it's fitting because you know and, and like the like the, the violence in this like, it's not very stylized yeah it's very just like if you were to watch like a high school level karate tournament or like a sort of a, a junior level karate tournament yeah like it's like it's it's reasonable for that but yet it still sort of draws you into it yeah i was thinking the same thing i'm like this fighting is not particularly incredible like you know it's it's, it's but somehow i'm i'm riveted like you know it, it's not like uh it's believable. a jet lee type of thing or something that i'm gonna be like wow how did this? like a lot of stuff you see like well i could probably do that a lot of stuff that you see in the thing but it still uh rivets you it made me want to take karate classes. Yeah, like it really did. It does. Because it, because it, because it, it, it's very like it's very reasonable. Like okay, yes, yeah, so like you know, and I think that helps in keeping it grounded. I think again, it would be very easy to because I think also what they did was they just taught the kids actual karate, or they yeah. got kids who knew actual like if they didn't know karate, they were like I think at least Miguel must have been like a gymnast or something. Like, yeah, they had some sort of gym like and like they just taught them karate. You know, for like the for like the they could do the majority of them scenes their scenes themselves. But I think there is something. You know, in using someone like Hawk and using people like Miguel, using like sort of like this this overweight black chick Aisha as like the main three cast of Cobra Kai, it's very easy to get drawn into like their not even their redemption story, but their revenge story. But like 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 this is like this in some ways this yeah. is like Kill Bill because like this is like the revenge story of like Miguel and you know Hawk. And Aisha, a revenge, revenge not only against the bullies, but like the society that has kind of marginalized them. And like, it's hard to feel the same way about Robbie because Robbie just comes across as like, as like a popular kind of dickish, like white dude character. Yeah. But, like, that's kind but, of the problem, I think, of having the Johnny or the Normie be uh, in the Daniel Sandojo and having the outcast or the. You know, I mean, not that Daniel was that huge of an outcast. I mean, like, at, at the worst, he's, he's swarthy. It's not like he's uh, he's swarthy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's it, dusky skin. He's just Italian. Yeah, yeah, he's ex just yeah, Italian. exactly. But I guess in the world of an '80s movie where everybody's like uh, blonde and Aryan, I mean, I guess that uh, counts by '80s standards, you know. But it, yeah, that, that version. I wonder if they're gonna lean into it for season two. Like, are are all Daniel's, Daniel's dojo going to be like normies who just have to unlearn being dicks to, to keep the symmetry going? I mean, I don't know, right? So, like, I honestly, like, I think that what I got, and this is sort of like me reverting to my like dumbass academic, like wanting to overanalyze things too much, like, this is probably not the intention. What I got from like the whole thing is this sort of deep analysis of the, the futility of trying to of trying to adhere to like gendered norms for success because no matter where you end up you end up unsick you end up unsatisfied and especially when that becomes especially clear with like i said danny who like by all accounts is very successful you know he's very successful you know he you know he's rich he has a, a nuclear family like like a wife two kids you know like two kids um but he's also like very unhappy 
<laughs> he's like he's he seems very unhappy with that sort of lifestyle at the point where he seems like almost chomping at the bit to get back into the fight into the ring with johnny and i think that's where like that's where the, what you were saying about like him being the instigator of a lot of their fights makes sense because it's just like he just like he just it's just not enough and i think so i think that like that would be my sort of like high tier like you know I, uh, analysis like where hey you know you have two people at two very different you know different stages of you know i guess uh success but neither of them by nature of like masculinity feel satisfied with that like danny's not satisfied johnny's not satisfied and they and they can they and they're sort of relieving that lack of satisfaction through like literal physical violence and perpetuating it too yeah one thing one thing about uh hawk's descent uh when i first saw it i was like i really like this show but my one complaint would be that i think hawk's uh descent was too uh over the top but he was just a nerd one day and now he's a total badass but when i rewatched it it was a lot more gradual that i gave it um credit for because he showed the tattoo which was i thought a little bit of overkill but then he says that he's still scared of his parents finding out and he's going to have to hide it till he goes to college maybe after then he asks real quick please don't tell him right and I was like, okay, so he actually wasn't fully there yet. Then they show him in the movie theater throwing random stuff at people, right? And um, he's throwing it. But then when someone finally turns around and calls back, he just uh, stops and gets back into uh, place. So I think they were kind of showing that he's moving there, but he's still like uh, chickening out at key moments. And then that other scene where they're out in the park and he just totally like nails this kid and like, you know, possibly knocks him out and um, just leaves him on the floor and just walks over to the other people to see what they're doing. And you can see, okay, he's hit like a new plateau of just being crazy. And then the tournament was, uh, I think, where he finally was fully arrived in his uh, heel turn. You know, it was a lot more gradual than uh, I first gave it credit. But what I thought was an interesting touch, too, that I noticed second time around is the extent to which everyone around him is kind of minimalizing or dismissing it. He's just doing this increasingly fucked up shit around everybody, especially when he took out that little kid. You know the scene I'm talking about where he's sparring with this little kid in the background while the rest of them are on a bench, um... On a computer, on a phone or a yeah. computer. Yeah. Yeah. And he just like, mauls the kid. Then he walks over and no one even like turns around or even cares. And I thought that was interesting how there's like this little cry for help going on right in their midst. And they're all just kind of talking about their own problems and not even noticing it. I mean, I think that, so I think that if you look at the three main Cobra Kai kids, you have Hawk, you know, the, you know, Hawk slash Lip, so whose name I don't actually know. Um, again, uh, I, I know like before I, they must have mentioned it, but he, but Johnny calls him lip constantly in reference to his like, you know, in reference to his like cleft lip scar. Yeah. He becomes Hawk. Uh, the, their other nerdy friend must call him, refuses to call him that. So I'm sure he, like, they mention his name more than one time, but he has a just sort of a generic white, white person name. You have Miguel and then you have Aisha. And I think they, oh, 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 quick thing. I think the other friend, the one who leaves Cobra Kai was a nice test because he's the kind of person that just checks out. He, he's the incel who's just like, look, I'm just going to be in, be an incel and I'm not going to try to learn a uh, game. I'm not going to try to learn to be a pickup artist. I'm not going to try to learn being alt-right. I'm just going to check out altogether. I, I thought that was a nice touch. I mean, I think it's not too, but I think the, I think the comment is, goes to the idea of, um, no, like the seductive nature of 
community in a in a, a time of widespread alienation. Like the seductive nature of no matter how toxic that is, that community is just how exactly just like just how you can so easily be seduced by the idea of, of having friends. And even he and, and even he got um seduced at the end. Like when he was sitting next to that girl and he saw like that girl getting like all moist over Hawk, he said, I can't believe this works. And he made the end he's like, you know what? I he tells me go, I think I might join after all this oh yeah this safety in numbers of gangs. Um, uh, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he was on the nose with it. It was a safety in number of gangs. Uh, maybe there's a lot to it after all. Yeah, and I think that and I think that's like that's that's such a, an important thing to understand. Like not, not the part about Hulk having all like all the chicks uh, dripping, but like, whatever, <laughs> whatever 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 you said. <laughs> but um, but the part about really understanding that the danger inherent to any of these reactionary communities is that we live in an era a, a era of widespread alienation and lack of social integration. And so a lot of people simply are looking for, are easily seduced into, or, you know, this is not to speak, this is not saying people are seduced into being racist. Like people are, are tricked into being, being racist. That, like, I think that's like, that's a very sort of weird, specific thing to say. But to say people are seduced into joining communities that are very obviously toxic, that are very obvious, from the outside are very obviously toxic, are very obviously stupid, are very obviously like not, or rather they seem very obviously like, why would you even be part of that? But just by nature of, you know, A, the community aspect of it, you have friends, you have a space where you can congregate, where you feel normal, where you feel like your experiences are sort of like represented there, you know, um, even if that's necessarily not necessarily untrue of the of the sort of mainstream media in some sense, you know, you have a space where like, you know, you have a very clear, definite out out group that you can sort of project your dislike onto you know you have this weird cognitive and emotional support component where you can say yeah i'm a member of cobra kai you know i div- i garner positive emotions from that because i know it makes me strong it makes me you know it makes me better it makes me whatever than anyone else and those out groups are important because um there was a story recently it was around the time that that guy ricky vaughn got outed and stuff and and doxxed they created this space gab which was like the twitter for like reactionaries and alt writers and white nationalists and what was interesting was even though they were absent of a lot of the infighting that's come to define the left once you put them in a space where there was no out group to troll and they were just in with each other they just all started turning each other into out groups and by the time ricky vaughn got doxxed they were calling him something called the optics cuck and a borderline like liberal and leftist and it was reaching a point that people were saying that he was a plant by the left like a false flag <laughs> that somebody that you know chapel or somebody put him in there i was seeing stuff like that because I, I lurked on gab to see what was going on when around the time he was doxxed because i was curious and that's when i saw how far gone they had gotten without an out group to um go against they were just tearing each other apart oh yeah because and a lot of that is has to do with a just you know in group out group dynamics as is very simple you know in group out group part of in group out group dynamics is from the outside the groups look homogenous and you know and from and from the inside the out group looks homogenous at least in certain certain ways and so you stereotype them but once you're inside the group you you understand like the little nuances that may or may not actually be important right so like a lot of people focus on like the the nuances of the reactionary right and in some ways those are important and in some ways they're not because in, in some ways like the overall thrust is all reactionary all laundering reactionary ideas into the 
mainstream and we should like just sort of take a hard stance against that but you know it's interesting at least you know from like a, like a sociological standpoint i suppose which is usually a bullshit thing to say but it's, it's interesting but you're right right i mean like in the because a lot and the second part about like a lot of these people are just like they're self-loathing right like these are just like a, like a lot of one of the defining characteristics of the, these organizations and these groups and whatever is that they're self-loathing yes and they're looking to reclaim a, a world where there are sort of innate underclasses that they can feel superior to without any sort of actual work or merit right like they, they, like that's what they want and when you put them alone with each other you realize just how much they don't like themselves because they're just surrounded with people like themselves like uh, ostensibly you would think that okay um or rather on the surface you would think that okay like okay like you put them together they have they have experiences that are relatable they can get along they can share they can sort of provide support for each other whether or not that support is toxic you know like reinforcing like a toxic sort of ideology or philosophy is one thing but they can provide support for each other but in reality it's like when you're surrounded by a group of people who remind you of yourself and you hate yourself yes all that's going to do is end up like lord of the fly yeah exactly it's just like it's it like a lord of the fly scenario and I, I mean i was on another podcast uh with gladstone we were talking about um one of my favorite twilight zone episodes um called uh the monsters are due on maple street and you and like in the basic premise of that episode is that you have a suburban cul-de-sac society that about that technologically and geographically get separated from the rest of the world and it's all just like white middle class suburbanites and they just this you know who are essentially as you know milk bread homogenous as they come and they just invent an outgroup they they like they invent uh they invent a, like a class of person essentially a new other they other they you know they otherwise just some random person and like and they try to kill them because it's just like these like, like that need especially when like there is this sort of deep deep seated you know again you know antipathy like sort of asocial like antisocial mentality you know deep seated sort of self loathing to find someone to project that onto uh is just like it's it's overwhelming i'd imagine one one thing quick aside i've never understood how the crane kick worked like it's the most telegraphed uh, kick on the planet. Like, like I don't know how people keep running into that damn thing, but uh, that was a good part of, of Kobe. That was a good part of Cobra Kai, though. When like when he when Miguel does it to that guy, it, it was funny. But I mean, that kick I can't get over how telegraphed uh, it is. But um, going back to your point about the uh, that self hatred and 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 self loathing, um, I think. It was a kind of disservice to put all the black people in the back of Cobra Kai and just have them as faces. Because one thing that's very surprising about the incel movement, even though white people are kind of stereotypically thought of as the incels, thanks to the shooters, because they're the ones who um, elevated to mass shooting level. One thing that surprised me, and I, I was reading this uh, article called, uh, it was on Medium. And it was called Hope, Cope, and Rope, The Sad Truth Behind the Incels Movement. And after I read this article, I kind of um, did my own research. I uh, searched things on YouTube called like True Forced Loneliness and and this incel. And I saw all these rants. Huge part of them, maybe a majority, a lot of them are uh, not white. A lot of them are uh, even black. Um there's a lot there's a lot of lot of uh non-white incels and i was very curious about why that's not really discussed more and one of the big things is they feel like they're in celibate i mean they're they're uh involuntary celibate because they're um ugly but to them 
um, to a lot of them, a black person, unless he's like rich or an athlete or whatever, is automatically ugly. Like he's an automatic um, unfuckable. And they get very obsessed with the racial aspects of the have and have nots. And for, to the point where they say things like in this article, one of the things they say is there's no such thing as a true white incel. Like, like, like they think things like if a white man is calling himself an incel, on some level, he really wants to be celibate. Like, there's going to be no reason. Like, they almost believe there's no such thing as an ugly or unfuckable uh, white man. That that there's something that, well, yeah. Well, I mean, just two, two, two things. One aside, you know, I, I'm going to have to inform all the white women I've slept with that technically <laughs> we, were, we were not allowed, we were not allowed <laughs> uh, about, this, about this sort of development. So I'm sure they'll be quite shocked, but whatever. Um, and second, like, yeah, because, right, so I think that you have to, as I was mentioning earlier, I think I probably got sidetracked because that happens because, you know, you know, my brain is rattled from years of graduate school and, and hard drugs. Hold that because I just saw the exact, I just saw the exact um, passage. Okay, sure, go ahead. So, so, so let me just read it and then finish your answer because, you know, then you can respond more, more precisely. Uh, the passage of the articles, many incels believe that whites cannot be incels and then it links to like a, um, a... Um, blog post or something. Many incels believe that whites cannot be incels as they are, quote, naturally more attractive. Not my words, calm down. This runs opposite to the media narrative that is desperate for incels to be white men in order to maximize public outrage toward a privileged, racist, and misogynist minister class. Uh, incels tend to put whites on a pedestal, which appears to be why they are often said to be um, white supremacists. Okay. Yeah, so, okay. Um, I think that a lot, there've been a lot of analytical missteps in dealing with the incel community, as I mentioned earlier, right? One is to look at them as though they are best understood as just a byproduct of like sexlessness, the loneliness epidemic, and just general, um, just general, like a society of alienation and all those things are contributing to this, right? Except for maybe the sexlessness part, because I think, I think that's sort of been routinely debunked, but definitely as a society, we're going through a, a widespread social alienation, lack of social integration, uh, you know, a new, a new poor class, uh, you know, a new class of like hopelessness that is the result of economic deprivation and social deprivation and all the other things. Um, but in reality, the incel community, is much more concerned with the domination of, other of other groups who or rather the domination of other groups and more precisely the domination of women in their particular view of women as like or women you know again women in sort of this is like be a site a code coded through sex as like a way to demonstrate social or cultural value right like and you know the, like the, the racial aspect of this ties very deeply into how we conceptualize masculinity in our society in general, which is that the idea, you know, the ideal man is the white man, the white, you know, cishet patriot, you know, the white cishet Christian, et cetera. Like, you know, that's the top of the thing. And so, you know, there are the the racial aspects of the incel community sort of fit into that just traditional understanding of masculinity as an inherently white uh, an innately sorry, peak masculinity as in as a, a category only achievable to whites and you know you look back on society and the way in which mas masculinity and the way in which race has been used to sort of um race has been used to coddle white masculinity especially you know, when it comes to lack of class mobility, yeah. you understand that like, so for example, 
Um, and it's something I mentioned online at some point, but I'll mention it again. You know, a lot of people don't understand the fact that, like, they literally, like, in the South, prior to the abolition of slavery, there were literal laws and policies in place that were trying to get white, poor white males to own slaves. Because the, the idea that there would be a, a natural underclass for the white, for the poor white male, mm. whether it be black men or white women, so that they could sort of play lord, they could play lord of their own household, they could play lord of their own, their own like mini plantation, they could play lord so that they wouldn't feel a deep sort of a deep seated resentment towards other white males, and also of course this, this and of course it would put them at least it would make them at least in some ways. And they, they would have more in common with white, you know, rich white males than they would with other sort of the other underclasses of the, the other losers of the of the class system. Yeah. Um, this does this like this in a lot of ways. This is you know this is why so many incel shooters, at least the most virulent incel shooters, also overlap with white supremacists. Yes, big time. If you dig yeah, into and, it, and, yeah, they always are. And, like, and so you know when you talk about things that have been erased from the incel incel narrative, I think that you're right. Race, so the, the fact that there are. There are probably I would guess there there are uh, there are black incel you know black incel incel males who feel similarly to the white incel males in some sense you know and they can sort of relate. Yeah, that, that. I'll say I, I'll say what I think I noticed. I feel like there's a lot more uh, non-white incel incel males, especially if you take all the different non-white ones together, like the Asian ones, the South Asian, the East Asian, the South Asian, the black ones, the Hispanic ones. They probably are a majority and outweigh the white ones. But what's interesting is both of them, the white incels and the non-white incels, both lionize white people. So when the white incel puts white people on the pedestal, they'll be like, I'm white. It shouldn't be this hard. White people are on top. They get like kind of doubled down into white supremacy. And then for the black ones, they they um, lionize white people, too. But they can't be white supremacists. So they just end up uh, being anti-black. You know what I mean? If they're if they're non-white but non-black, then they then they will be like virulently anti-black. And then if they're black, they'll just be that much more um, self-loathing. But the main difference is, you know, only the white people are the ones who get pushed enough to start shooting. Well, I mean, I think that that comes from, and I guess I'll say it at the risk of being like viewed as kind of shitty. I think that comes from like the white the white people being new to alienation yeah and like and this being a very unique form of alienation that like you know that in some ways the incel phenomenon not just new not just new but it's not supposed to happen there yeah it's not supposed to happen so i can feel i'm perfectly able i, I can't feel empathy for um for people who don't have sex but i can feel sympathy <laughs> for them. um i can feel sympathy for them um but because like I can feel sympathy in so far as I can I can sort of I believe it is it was Nietzsche and I know Nietzsche is probably popular and he's probably and I, it's, I, I always hate so one of the reasons I don't quote people is because like you quote somebody or like you reference somebody and then you find out later that they're actually like a, like a raging anti-semite and like and like you had no idea because like you don't really engage with them that yeah deeply. but someone's like actually did you know that Horkheimer beat his wife you're like okay f- no i didn't know that but like <laughs> i couldn't i don't know everything about everybody yeah but like nietzsche points out he pointed out whenever he was writing that modernity has you know in some ways and this is going to piss some people off too which is i'm not i know this is what nietzsche wrote now blame it on me nietzsche's dead uh just like god you no know, no um this one of the things that like he wrote was that modernity has made white men specifically feel the kind of marginalization that people of color have felt as the result of slavery and post-slavery for at least not the kind of, but like 
for since the inception of America, right? That you know, in some ways, slavery was this was this this huge way in which to sort of codify a class system that could that could function in race race not race slavery and race was a way to codify this class system that could function indefinitely. And now that we're interested, we're entering in this sort of stage of modernity and late modernity and late stage capitalism and whatever we want to call it. Um, white men for the first time are feeling that that like that, that at least a fraction of that alienation that men of color you know have felt since the beginning of yeah. America and that you know end that sort of that discrepancy between well i'm a white male it's like but i'm a cheerleader it's like but i'm a white male like i should be able to find a job i should be able to sort of be to, to like to to collect these cultural signifiers of masculine success yeah i think an, i think another reason why that bothers them is because it fucks up with their narrative of natural superiority because they like to think that um these things happen to black people because they don't try hard enough or because they're pathologically or genetically inferior but if you're doing everything and you're trying everything then you're kind of almost forced to believe wait this might be maybe if this is happening to me and it's an unfair system, then maybe it's been an unfair system for blacks first. And maybe what they're saying is um, true. So I think there's also that cognitive dissonance where it's, like, where it's like, you know, it, it kind of fucks up with the narrative of being naturally superior. Like, like maybe, you know, and then I noticed they start flipping it to trying to say, well, you know what? It is systemic to me, but for them, people are systemically helping them. Oh yeah, I mean, like, like there is like that, like that's a very classic, and it's, and I think that a lot of the missteps that people make are looking at insta, insta whether it's a phenomenon of incel or the alt right or you know whatever flavor of reaction you're talking about as like this new thing that started i guess in 2016 like 2016 is like this weird uh watershed moment that created or made visible or catalyzed a lot of things for people but like you can track these sort of like a lot of these ideological at least they're like the kernels of them like at least 30 years right you know yeah. 30 to 20 years so maybe 40 at this point it's almost 2020 jesus but um and so you see what the incel phenomenon like it for me like it's like I, I talk a lot about conspiracy theories i talk a lot about cult I talk a lot about flat earth. I talk a lot about, um, you know, and the ways in which cult mentality is actually more prevalent than we talk about. But like, you know, the incel phenomenon is no, like the incel community is no different really than any other like conspiracy theory group. But, but I, I, I even take it further. A lot of what the energy behind incel, I think goes back to ancient times. Like a lot of people don't realize this. I was reading a book on this and I forget the name of it. And it's pissing me off because I've never been able to find it again. But it was a book about how back in the day, some of the most marauding uh toxic bands of invaders you know whether it was like um japan with the rest of asia or you know germany or the uh, mongols or you know genghis khan all this stuff col colonial wars and stuff like a big motivation for a lot of people to do this type of toxic domination was the people who could not get access to sex or the sex they wanted back home or the type of uh wife or monogamy they wanted Probably like the selling point was you can go abroad to this other and just rape to your heart's content or dominate to your heart's content. That's why so many of those heinous war crimes had a huge um, mass rape contingent or, you know, people would go to these colonial places and create like, you know, their own like little harem of um, non-white yes. non women. Like, I think people need to try, try to extrapolate this into a, a much, much larger uh, narrative than it's... Uh, current form like i think this energy 
of sexual entitlement. Uh, one good book about it was, there was this book called The East, The West, and The Rest of Us. And one thing that was interesting about it was, it was written by a white guy in a relationship with an Asian woman. So he was kind of an apologist for some of it. And that kind of made the book even better because it made him a little more honest. And he had a chapter that described um, co colonialism and imperialism and, and settler colonialism as the world as the white man's harem. And that chapter always uh, stuck in my mind. And, and that's one book that described the phenomenon pretty well, too. But um, we're a little over time, so I'll let you just uh, get the last word. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's very interesting, right? And I think that Cobra Kai fits, it's a great show for the time that we're in because it grapples with so many issues of masculinity and the ways in which it has kind of, in the ways in which it, it, it's failed its, its adherence. Like, like, it, like it's, it's, it gets failed its, uh, its proselytes in a way that perhaps no other structure necessarily has besides capitalism. But of course, those two things are intrinsically linked as well. Yes. And so, uh, you know the incel phenomenon in terms of why it's been you know why it's been made into a, a whites only thing or like i think that like that white sort of that like that has become typified whites it's like i don't know i don't really know exactly why because obviously well i think there is a dual motive on two parts on like on two fronts right so one i think that it is white supremacist in nature like at least like in terms of its sort of its view on the corrective nature like what the pro it's diagnosis and solution for what it thinks the problem is i you know i would say it's white supremacist i.e like you know you hear and you mentioned earlier the the market the sexual marketplace which again which again is just like oh, oh by the way i want to make sure people know i was using that like ironically like in scare quotes like yeah yeah no, yeah, I, yeah i just want to make sure that people out there don't think i actually uh am endorsing that jordan peterson idea but, but yeah go on i, uh, I mean like, this, like the sexual marketplace is a good example of what i was saying earlier about like overt sexism being unpopular and so you have to code it in a way that people view with either neutral or unrecognizable to liberal notions of sexism, right? So I, though so I don't, I think it's a good term though because it really shows how these people think about women and how they commodify them. So it's good in that it tells on themselves, but you know, to use it unironically is bad. Of course, I mean it. it, it, it it means that they not only think of like women as like women and sex as commodities, or at least traditional commodities. I think you know, it's like there's there's work on whether sex, especially with sex workers, as sex workers labor as, as a commodity, but like they're not familiar with any of that work, so it, so it does not matter. But but that's just how neoliberalism, the thought process, infiltrates every wing. It infiltrates centrist, leftist, and far right people and traditionalists. Like we're all got kind of uh, prey to lapse into that sometimes. Well, yeah, because neoliberalism, you know, I hear the term like like liberal hegemony all the time which is just a way to make conservatives or reactionaries like into victims but like really the two most hegemonic ideologies in america or i guess the west is like neoliberal individualism in a very sort of vague way like you know sort of bootstrapping yeah uh like the society you know thatcherist society is not real hybrid um, transactional personal branding you know you're your own personal corporation and you're always marketing and branding yourself yeah like and like reactionary neoconservative imperialistic racism sexism etc like, like those are like the, the main hegemonic ideals like the common sense things that women are biologically different black people are biologically different you know like america has to be overseas because it makes the world safe like those 
like those things are hegemonic and so like it does really infuse every way people deal with the world with for like you know the sexual marketplace is just you know in some ways it is away from telling themselves in some ways it's away from the make fun of the idea of the redistribution of wealth yeah. and wealth inequality but in some ways it's actually a very like you said it's a very very earnest way for them to like demonstrate just how they think of not only just sex but like intimacy yeah in human relationships as very very kind of transactional yeah so i think it's a good place to stop thanks for coming out brandon and um one last thing i regret saying uh the word moist earlier that was tacky and also when i remember that the, the girl's like 16 or something that was creepy so before before anybody writes me on it i uh caught myself and i apologize yeah you should you should feel bad for like you know, referring to a 16 year old as moist that's that's, that's fucked up yeah 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 that is that is that is, that is fucked up but i owned it i owned it fast it was uh, Mo- moist and supple <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what added stuff to it it was no, it was <laughs> so supple <laughs> it's like a giant game of telephone by the time it hits uh twitter it's gonna be uh a whole different thing that, that i said you're gonna be libertarian by, by libertarian <laughs> by the end of the week it's just like like first of all it's not uh it's not pedophilia it's hero, it's pedophilia. like you know oh, you... i was like i wasn't referring to a child as moist she was well within she was well post puberty uh all right man so have a good one man enjoy your day yeah yeah enjoy your day all right